All right, flip your bulletins back over. Some of you are like, it's 2016, you shouldn't say that. All right, come on, let's go. It's, it's 11.30, you guys are awake. El- elbow, your, elbow your spouse, tell them to wake up. It's Valentine's Day, did you get me a card? Oh no, it's Valentine's Day, if you didn't know that. Now you know, you might want to act like you have to go to the bathroom right now and head out, you got 30 minutes. And so anyway, we're ending our series about that life today, but we changed it because it's Valentine's Day about that wife. We're going to talk about relationships because the topic of today's message is is same calling, different cost. Same calling, different cost. I need you to understand that if you do anything great in this life, there is always a high cost associated with it. If you're going to be great at your job, whatever it is, there's a high cost. If you're going to be a great leader, you don't become a great leader at work, you become a great leader up late at night or up early in the morning, and then you go to work and you become what you prepare to become. There's a cost there. If you're going to lose weight, there's a cost there, right? Like you're going to be hungry. Like you're always, you ever notice that? You're always like, you're like, I'm going to lose weight. And one day in, you're like, I can't do it. I'm hungry. That's the way it is because your body is so used to eating a lot of calories. And now you're saying, you know what? We're done, body. I got I to gotta starve you. And he's going, no, no, feed me. And it's hard. There's a cost associated. No matter what you do in life, there's always a cost. If you're going to have a great marriage or a great relationship in a future marriage, there's a high cost associated with it. And I want to kind of specifically talk to that since it's Valentine's Day. And I thought, you know, what better day uh, to kind of talk. And we're going to try to cover a lot of ground. In the summer, we're going to do a relationship series again because we haven't done one for a few years. But I thought it would be fitting because it's Valentine's Day and everybody's thinking about love and, and boyfriends and girlfriends and marriage. And it's probably the one day of the year. Maybe you, hopefully you do it more, but you at least on this day get your spouse a card or a flowers or, or you got your arm around her or you're holding her hand or maybe you're trying to do that right now because you're getting the hint. It's Valentine's Day. You should probably make your move right now. And so anyway, like... It, it cost to have that kind of relationship. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of uh, um, Luke chapter 14, verse number 25. It says, a large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned to them and said, I want you to understand this. This is what I, one thing I love about Jesus, and Jesus, these are Jesus' words. He oftentimes, when a b- bunch of people would come, he, he would kind of weed out the fake. Like he, he, would, he wasn't interested in building a fan club at all. He wasn't trying to be super popular. I mean, just, just, let's just take for example, when he died, he had been on the, on the earth for three years, and the, the amount of people that still followed him when he came back from the dead was numbered at 120. 120 people. If you were planting a church and you, you did what I did, and, and you kind of did studies, that, that, that's just an average church planner. Jesus was just an average pastor. I wouldn't say that to his face. But according to statistics, if you're judged on your growth, it's just average. But he also did it on purpose. Like there was a time when he had a bunch of people following him and he was like, y'all going to have to drink my blood. He, he didn't mean like my real blood, but you're going to have to drink my, eat my body. They were like, no, nope, I'm out. I was cool when you were turning fish and loaves and feeding 5,000 and healing people. And, but I, I ain't into that, Jesus. I'm out. So Jesus is, has a bunch of people following him. And this is what he, he says. He says, if you want to be my disciples, you must hate everyone else by comparison. What? Then he would say this, then he said, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. If you want to follow me, compared to how much you love me, it's going to look like you hate everybody else. Like sometimes you're going to be so loyal to me, it looks like you're not loyal to anybody else. 
Sometimes you're going to follow me with such conviction that it's going to look like you're not, you're not connected to anybody else. He says, that's how, that's how you got to follow me. And then he keeps going. He says, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. You're going to see me in a little bit carry my cross to the, to the death. I'm not asking you to go and get a cross and start wearing it around your neck and be like, yo, I'm with Jesus. The way you're going to be with Jesus, you're going to get your own cross and you're going to die. If you don't do that, you can't be my disciple. And then he says this, he says, he says but don't begin this until you count the cost. I love that. It's not like he was like six, six months into this and like, you know what, it's going to be great. Everybody's going to be great. We're going to have a palace. But you know what, never mind, everybody's going to die. Right up from the front, he's like, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to die. It was a prophetic statement in that moment because most of those that were listening to him, that stuck with him, would die for him in the coming years. Like, if you want to be my disciple, you better count the cost. And today I want to talk to you about that because I think there is a heavy cost associated that many of us miss to having a great godly marriage and relationship. The truth is, you always get what you pay for. Are, are you with me? I know some of y'all are like, no, I've been, to, I've been to yard sales, I got all this cheap stuff. But yard sales, okay, fine. You're wearing somebody else's stuff. Do you know what people do in their clothes? I know what my kids do. I would never wear what they wear. That's fine. But for me, what I've noticed, my, you always get what you pay for. I'll give you, I'm a shoe fan. I love shoes. I'm not scared to admit it. I'm not ashamed of it. I love shoes. My, my infatuation with shoes started when I was about 11 years old. I got my first pair of Michael Air Jordans. I put them in my box up in my closet. I, I let them there for two months, and I wore them to my first uh, elementary school, Boyertown Elementary School dance. I put them on my feet. I remember it like it was yesterday, slow dancing with my, my girlfriend. I don't even remember what her name was, but I remember exactly how my shoes looked that night. <laughs> if you like Jordans, they were the ones with the two holes in the tongues. They were all white. They had a blue tongue. They were fly. And at that moment, uh, the Holy Spirit birthed the work inside of me where I loved shoes. Like, I just, I just love, I know it's spiritually immature, but I still, I just like a good pair of shoes. And I'm always looking on Amazon. It's a problem. Some of you, some of you constantly are on Facebook and you're constantly on Instagram. And, and my wife catches me all the time on Amazon looking at shoes. I just dream about them. So the summer I found this one pair of shoes. They were in England. And if you know anything about us in England, England is just, is just more stylish than us. It's just, Europe is just cooler. And so they're like in Europe, and I had, and I had, I had Amazon Prime, and these shoes were $20 with, the, with shipping. Like that, that was what they were. I was like, I got to get these. These are, listen, these are too good of a deal. God wants me to have these shoes. So I got these shoes. It took three weeks to get here. Three weeks. I waited. I had my Sunday marked on my calendar because I always wear my new stuff on Sunday because this is a new day. This is the day the Lord has made, and I want to look good in Jesus' name. I wear my Sunday best, right? And so, anyway, I'm religious like that. I got still working that out in me. And so I put these shoes on, and I wear them to my first Sunday. It's in the summer. I got these sweet, they're suede, they're light brown suede shoes. You can wear them in the summer. I look good. I'm walking around this area, setting stuff up. I'm getting ready to come up on the stage. I had only had these on for a couple hours. I look down, and my pinky on my right foot is sticking outside the side of my shoe. These are suede shoes, I thought. My pinky. Now listen, I got some gnarly toes. I'm not going to lie. I'm not ashamed of it. It's just the way I was born, right? They look like fingers. One of my toes is shoot out the side of my thing. I had to push it back in and preach. And when I was preaching, you weren't here, or maybe you didn't notice, it kept popping out all day long. I took them off. I never wore them again. I sent a picture to the people. I was like, yo, you, you European scumbag sent me these shoes. Should never bought anything from you. I'm from America, like all this stuff. They sent me money back. They were like, don't, we don't even know how your toes did that, but we're not sending you any more shoes, sir. You cannot, your feet are not allowed in our shoes ever again. 
And I realized at the moment, they were 20 bucks. I got what I paid for. You always get what you pay for. And the truth is, when it comes to what you're willing to pay, what you're not willing to pay today will eventually cost you everything. What, what, you, what you're not willing to pay today for your relationship, for your marriage, for your, for your future, in your walk with God, that, that principle applies to everything. I'm going to talk about relationship, but it applies to everything. What you're not willing to pay, what you're, where you're not willing to go all in today will eventually cost you everything. One of the most sobering stories of this is found in the book of Matthew chapter, chapter 19. And, and I love, I love, love, love this story. Not because it's a great story. Not because it has a happy ending. Because it's sobering to me. Because I'll read it often when I feel like not paying the cost. And I realize what I'm not willing to pay today will cost me tomorrow. So Jesus is walking and once again people are following him. People were always trying to get close to Jesus without paying the cost. It still happens in the church. How much do I got to do? What, 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 how many do I have? I have to come to church? How many weeks? Can I give like 3% instead of 10%? What, what, can, what, what can we work out a deal here? Like how much do I do? So this man comes in, in chapter 19, verse, verse 16. He says, just, thus, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There was only one who was good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbors. And like a typical religious person, he's like, check, 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 check. I'm in. He looks at Jesus and he says, I've done all those. I'm awesome. And he says, what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, hey, one more thing. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give them to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, then come follow me. One more thing. Did all those things. That's great. Then one more thing. Go and get rid of all this stuff you have and then come follow me because this is going to keep you. You're not, this, this is going to hold you back. And the Bible says that this man, when he hears this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. When he, when he gets this information, he goes away sad because it's going to cost him too much. My prayer for you as we go over these things that I think these costs that so many people don't embrace when it comes to relationships is not that you would look at it and go, that's too much. My prayer is that you will remember the words, what you won't pay for today, tomorrow will cost you everything. So let me give you three things I think people don't understand. Number one is there's a cost of what I would call settling. There's a cost of, of settling. There's a cost associated uh, to kind of hear what God would say about relationships or life as a whole and being like, eh. maybe, maybe he doesn't know everything about that. Like, I know God made man and God made woman and God made marriage and God kind of formed the brains and God did all that and, 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 and God's kind of the inventor of life. But, but maybe, maybe my situation he's never seen before. Like, may, maybe I'm different. And if I can be honest with you, one of the greatest struggles for, for me as a pastor one of the hardest things for me as a pastor is watching people settle. Watching people like this man that come and they get so close to Jesus and Jesus is like, hey, there's just one more thing. Just one more thing. You shouldn't be dating that person. And they're like, I've been with them for like three years. Or sometimes it's like, I've been with them for like three days. You don't know how much I love them. They're my soulmate. He goes, Jesus, Jesus says, whatever, money. Hey, one more thing. You got, you got to stop being so addicted to money. You're looking into it for happiness and you're worshiping and it's going to let you down. Put your hope in me. Like you can work. Money's good, but let's use it to promote good. Let's use it to build the kingdom. Uh, 
I really like cable. And we, we settle. And man, it's, it's so difficult for me because oftentimes I struggle with this as well. I struggle with just wanting to argue with, with God. If I read through the Old Testament, it seems like this is all people did. God would give them every answer to every test they would face, and they'd still be like, eh, maybe it's not that, though. I went to a, a basketball game this last week on Tuesday. I went to the Spring Forward versus Pert Valley Championship Pac-10 basketball game. Anybody else there? Put your hand up. You're from there. Nobody? You missed it. I went to this game because I live in Phoenixville. And if you go to Phoenixville High School, I'm sorry to say this, but you guys stink at everything. Like, you're not good anything. I don't want my kids to be around winners. So my kids eventually are going to go to Phoenixville High School, but right now, they don't win nothing, so we go to Springford because Springford wins everything, like everything. I went to a Springford football game when they played Park Valley, and they played, they're both undefeated, and Springford kicked their butts. And so anyway, I went to that game. So Springford and Park Valley are playing again on Tuesday, championship Pac-10 Pac basketball game. I go into the gym. Of course, we're rooting for Roarsford because I'm with John and Aaron. Their kids go to Roarsford, and so we're rooting for Roarsford, and we sit down. And man, it was so cool. I look over, and across from me was the student section, but because it was the championship game, they had allowed half the student section to be Park Valley and half to be Springford. They were like keyed together right beside each other. It was so exciting. And from what I experienced a few months back at the football game, I was in for a treat because Perk Valley kids are crazy. Like, they are loud, obnoxious, and crazy. They, no matter, like, anytime somebody tries to talk, they just get louder. It's so awesome. And so I was watching them and watching Spring Forward. The teams came out, and they began to play. And let me tell you something. It was worth the price of admission. It was such an exciting game. Good basketball, fundamentals, good players. They're playing back and forth. It's a close game comes into the fourth quarter, and it's getting closer and closer. It's going back and forth. And about three or four minutes left, the announcer starts to get on the, the thing. About every time out or every time ball, he would go, listen, student section, if your team wins, do not rush the court. We'll give you a chance to celebrate with your team after we take a picture and give them the trophy. Then you can celebrate. So then they would play a couple more minutes, a couple more seconds sometimes. Students, do not rush the court. A couple more seconds, ball up. Hey, students, I'm mainly talking to the guys in orange who can't seem to control themselves. Perk Valley. Do not rush the court. Over and over and over again. So literally, a minute's left in the game, and this game gets, I mean, just the top comes off the game. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere where it's just it's like, it's like a storybook. If a spring four comes down, hits a three, they're up by two, then they come down, hit a three, Perk Valley up by one, and they go back and forth with like 10, 15 seconds left, spring four goes down, hits, goes up by one point. This little, this little guy, he looked little, he's probably my same size, but I was really high up. He comes running down, looks like Steve Nash with long hair. He makes the basket with like .7 seconds left, and Perk Valley goes up by one point. 0.7 seconds, the clock continues to run because it should run, and Park Valley is going to win the game, and what happens? The students rush the court. Everybody, they're coming running down, and they're celebrating. They're going crazy. I got a guy beside me, a big guy. He takes off his shirt. He's waving his shirt around. My kids are laughing. He starts doing it even more. Everybody's going crazy. 0.7 seconds left, and the ref walks over to the score table, and he goes, boop, with his whistle. Technical foul, Park Valley student section. Point seven seconds left. Kid walks up, hits one of two because that's what happens with free throws because they're free. Hits one of two. They tie. They go into overtime. By this time, Perk Valley is so tired from celebrating because they should have won. They end up getting their bus kicked and they lose the game. And I have parents from Perk Valley 
screaming at the refs. Welcome to Spring Forest. Spring Forest always wins. Blah, 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 blah. And I wanted to look up at them and tell them, the ref or the ump or the announcer told you over and over and over again, don't rush the court. What? And one more time, do not, D-O-N-O-T, rush the court. And they did it anyways and they lost the game. I want to talk to the exceptions to the rules today. You're in this place. You're the people that when you, when, you, when you go to the grocery store and they have a little spot for your cart, you never put it in the cart spot because why would you? You'd have to walk 20 more feet and it's cold. So you just leave it somewhere. Or maybe you're in the grocery store and you got 25 items and there's a bunch of lines because it's Sunday and everybody's going shopping and you notice that the express checkout line says 15 items or less and you got 25 items. And you're like, ah, eh, close enough. You know the exceptions. Like your parents always gave you a gold star for everything. You got a gold star just for waking up in the morning. You know what I'm saying? You're the exception. When you park your car, you know that car you pay, you pay all that money for, $700 a month on 10-year loan, and you think you've got a good deal. And you pull in, and there's two lines for your car, right? And it perfectly fits in there. Your car perfectly fits in there, and you're like, eh, I think I'll take two spots. You're the exception to the rule, or, 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 or maybe you pull in and it's busy and everybody's waiting to get a spot and somebody's got to turn the thing on clearly, and they think they're going to turn it, and somebody pulls out and you're like, exception to the rule, right? Like, there, there's people in this room, literally, I can tell you over and over and over again, don't rush the court. You digging? Don't rush the court. I know there's only 0.7 seconds left. I don't want to tee you up. Don't rush the court. And you're like, we're the exception to the rule. Like, I know the Bible says in Corinthians, if you're, if you're dating, listen, if you're already married, we're going to have to talk to you a little, little bit in a second here, but if you're dating and you're sitting here and the Bible says in Corinthians, listen, don't be unequally yoked. Don't, 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 don't date a non-believer. You guys go in different directions. There's nothing against a non-believer, but you are not called to missionary date. If God's going to send you on the mission field, he's sending you to Africa, not to Adam. And I don't call you to do that. It never works. And you get that and you're like, but you don't understand. You don't understand our connection, our deep soul. You're t- Listen, you're talking to the one that gave you your soul. You're talking to the one that formed you in your mother's womb. You're talking to the one that puts breath in your lungs. And he's saying, don't do it. You're like, I'm the exception to the rule. Or maybe, maybe you're the married person and scripture is very clear. Protect your eyes. Protect your time. Protect who you hang out with. Don't talk to the opposite sex. Rarely ever. If you're married and you want to stay faithful to your spouse, watch what you look at. Watch what you spend your time doing. You're like, yeah, I'm different. Over and over again, it tells you not to step outside of the context of your marriage, the confines of your marriage. You're like, eh, but I'm different. And God's saying to you, don't rush the court. You're not the exception to the rule. When you settle now, you always suffer later. I always ask myself this question in my life as I'm thinking about settling in any area. I always think to myself, is what I'm about to do now worth a lifetime of suffering? Is the, is the, is the action I'm about to take, is the affair that maybe you're about to have, I mean, just to get real crude, is the 13 seconds in bed you're about to have with that person, is it worth it? If you're a single person, is, is what you're about to do with them, is who you're about to do with, is it, is it worth a lifetime of suffering? Is it worth a lifetime of agony? Is it worth a lifetime of, of pain? Is it, is it worth it? 
Because oftentimes God will be saying, don't. Listen, I know, I know it's so easy to settle. I know, I know it's right in front of you. I know you want to celebrate. Don't rush the court. I've watched too many people settle. I've had two friends that have been with me at this church over the last 10 years step outside the context of their marriage, and I have watched them suffer. I watch as their kids are raised by another man, as they've lost everything. I know their kids suffer, and their wife suffers, and ultimately they suffer. Their legacy suffers. It's not worth it. There's a cost to settling. Don't rush the court. Number two, I think there's a, there's a cost of what I would call high standards. If you're a dating person, you're looking for a, for a relationship, there's a, there's a cost of, of godly standards. What settling does is settling typically speeds up the process on this side only to allow you to crash and burn on the other. There's so many people that, I, that we do counseling with that we weren't there when they were dating. And, and I believe God can still do a work and God can still heal after you're married. But, but, but some of them were here when they were dating. And I sat with some of them and said, you guys don't need to get married. You just shouldn't do it. Some of them got mad and, and left. And what happened was, is they, they ran to the altar because they were settled and they sped up the process only to crash and burn. And the problem with high standards is it typically slows you down on this side only to speed you up on the next side. And that is my prayer for single people. Let me help you with God's word and God's wisdom to slow down on this side of marriage. And hopefully you'll accelerate on the other side. If you're going to get married, it might as well be good. If you're going to spend your life with somebody, going somewhere, accomplishing something, it might as well be with the person you're supposed to be with. And one thing that'll help you is I think is when you set high standards, but there's a cost to it. There's a cost to it because you're surrounded by a bunch of mediocre people. We are simply, most of us, okay with, with good enough. Eh, good enough. We don't have an immeasurably more faith in God where we say, look, God has an immeasurably more spouse for me. He does. I don't know. I haven't met him yet. But they're out there somewhere. God has, a, has, a, has somebody prepared for me, but my job in this season is to be preparing myself. God, God has something better. What we do is, eh, they're here. They kind of like me, so I'll just, I'll just settle. See, there's a cost of what I would call a biblical high standards in your life. It'll slow you down. This is what the Bible says in Titus 2. For, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It teaches us to say no now so we can say yes later. No, no, I won't do that. No, I won't date that person. No, I won't go there. No, I won't sleep with you. No, I won't go on vacation with you. No, I won't play married with you. No, I won't do that so I can say yes later. I think some of us, we don't even know what high standards look like in, in marriage, in dating. Like, you don't even know the difference between a, a God, like, like, what's a godly man? Oh, they go to church. Man, let me tell you something about, about that. There's a whole lot of people that attend our church all the time that are not godly. They're just not. They come here, they, they go to church, I can look at their Facebook, I know what's going on. I'm like, please don't ever wear a journey church and just don't tell anybody you go to this church. Because essentially what you're saying is this is not real. What we do here is not important. See, this is, to me, is not a game. This, this is life and death every week. And, and listen, I don't want to be anybody's excuse to not believe in Jesus. So oftentimes, you need to understand there's a difference between loving God and going to church. Point blank. 
I could park you in my garage and you're not my car. Like, it's just true. So I think sometimes we don't even know what to look for. So let me just give you a couple things for, for men and then, and then for women. Like, the difference between a godly and a worldly man. Like, a, a godly man and a worldly man, a worldly man will approach you differently. He'll approach you like this. You look fine. You don't even know me. Yeah, but you're fine, girl. Give me your number. Maybe we can go out. Maybe we can have sex. That's the way it goes. I was at the mall on Friday night on my Valentine's Day. Me and my wife are 36 years old. She's 35, almost 36. I'm 36. We're getting better looking as we go, but, 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 but we old. So, so what do we do? We, we people watch. I love people watch. It's like going to the zoo. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's so cute. So we went to Starbucks. We got a Starbucks. And I, I was at Starbucks, and I was watching these 15-year-old guys hit on these 12-year-old girls. I'm like, what is, what is going on? Thank God. Listen, if you have a girl, lock them up now. Lock them up. Don't let them out in public. It's dangerous. These guys are hit. I, I see them going, how old are you? And, and she's going 12, and he's going, that's eh, okay. He's 15 to 16 years old. I'm like, that's not okay. I'll kill you for that dad. So I watched these little boys hit on these girls, and then we walked down to the food court. We sat at the food court and watched people, and they made their way down. They were talking to different girls by then. In fact, one of them was holding hands with a different girl by the time he got down there. He thought he was a pimp daddy, right? Like, he's walking around. And I was thinking to myself, when we're laughing at that, but this is the way the world works. Because of how much pornography we look at and how many stupid movies we watch, we're going, this is all that girls want is for me to take them. Make sure I got big muscles and make sure I have lots of money and make sure I got a nice car that I park in two spots. See, 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 godly men are different. Their approach is different. They don't look at you and go, woo, she's fine. I think initially they do. That's okay. Then they start to watch you from a distance and they go, man, they're single. Let me see how they serve. Let me see how they react to other other dogs coming to get them. Let me see how secure they are. Let me see how giving they are. Let me see how loving they are. And they're going, oh, that's, that's a woman of God. That's the woman of God. And when they approach you, they don't approach you like this. Yo, you want, you want to go out? They approach you because they have, they have one goal in mind, and their goal is marriage. Marriage is not a scary word to a Christian guy. The Bible says this about a woman and a wife. It says, he who finds a wife in Jesus' name finds a good thing. It's really like, my wife's not a good thing. If you have high standards, he who finds a wife... I can tell you right now from experience, because we would not be where we are as a church, and I would not be what I am as a man, and I would be all, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. See, see godly men are different. They, they come after you with one goal in mind, I'm going to marry you. If you're dating a guy and you're always telling them, hey, we've been together for like 16 years, we should probably get married, and finally he gives in to you because you won't shut up, he's not a godly man. Why? He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Let's talk about the girls. Remember, like we talk about the girls. Godly, godly, godly girls are different than, than worldly girls. God, godly, godly girls have different values. Worldly girls, what they value is their appearance. And, and because they've been taught because of pornography and because of magazines and because of all sorts of other garbage we watch that your value as a female is only based in your body. You're a child of the most high God. You're a daughter of the king. Do not devalue yourself to the point where your only good is your body. Listen, if you're only good as your body and, and that's what you're feeding, don't be surprised when you, when you keep attracting dogs because you're feeding them dog food. 
If you want to attract a godly guy, set your values higher. Understand who you are in Christ. Understand that he made you and formed you. And listen, the world has tried to strip that from you and convince you that you're not valuable. But when you meet Jesus, you begin to understand my value is not based on what I look like. My value is based on who I am and whose I am. See, a godly, a godly girl and a worldly girl, they're, they're, they're different. The same thing with marriage. One of the things I loved about my wife, and I share this every time I talk about relationships, and I'll keep sharing it. But when we were 18 years old and I approached her, I knew quite honestly and quite quickly that she was Beyonce before she was Beyonce, that if I wanted to get with her, that I had to put a ring on it. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you wanted to be intimate with me, and I did, if you wanted to be married, you want, you want all that stuff? You better put a ring on it. And she was confident. And one of the best things I loved about her is she was good with me or she was good without me. I don't need you. That's a godly woman. When you do that to a guy, they're like, all right, now I can hunt you, right? Because that's what we're made to do. Hit her, I bring her back to my cave. (laughs) High standards. Didn't go like that. Number three. I think this is the last cost, and this one's for the married people. The cost of success. Tell me if you ever do this, because we, we're, we're, we live in social media world, especially today because it's Valentine's Day, and you're going to start seeing all sorts of crazy stuff on Valentine's Day. Look what I did. Look what they did. Look how much we love each other. Bro, it's Valentine's Day. Everybody loves each other on Valentine's Day. Everybody. So you look at Facebook, and you start to compare your marriage, right? You start to compare the, the highlights of other people's marriages to, to your marriage, the everyday marriage, the one where you're with the person in the morning. You know what they look like in the morning? The one that you fight with, the one that gets on your nerves, the one that you know all their annoying habits like chewing and, and breathing. Right? Because when, you, when you're married for a long time, breathing gets on your nerves sometimes. You're like, why are you breathing like that? And we're like, what? I hate your breathing right now. And you look, and you watch movies, and you're like, everybody has such a great marriage. Like, they all end up in love. You know, you watch Ryan Reynolds and all this other stuff, and you're like, he's perfect. And you get so frustrated with your marriage, and you're like, why can't I have a marriage like that? And, and number one, you have to understand all that's bunch. Like, like, online is a bunch of crap. Just, just write that down somewhere. Online is a bunch of crap. Just write it. Nobody's writing. That's good stuff. That's good preaching. Online is not real. It's, it's fake. It's, it's what people do that have nothing better to do with their life. If you're constantly going back to your online, it means you're not really doing anything fun, which there and tell tells everybody that what you're doing is not that exciting because you keep going back to see if everybody else thinks it's exciting. So instead of worrying about all that, you need to understand the truth is marriage is a ton of work. It's a ton of work. And there is a cost. If you see somebody, you're like, man, they got a great marriage. I can tell you right now, there has been a high cost associated with it. They didn't find the right person, and they got married, and they're like, we've never had a problem in our lives. We never fight. They never get on my nerves. We never, we're perfect. It's just not true. It's not true at all. If I could tell you something about marriage, I would tell you that there's not a soulmate out there for you. That's not how it works. You find the person that you're willing to commit the rest of your life to, 
And you stay committed to that person through thick or thin, through ups and downs, through good and through bad, through annoying breathing and through annoying habits and through morning breath and through morning hair and through everything else, you just keep sticking with And that's what leaving and cleaving is. It says in, in the book of Matthew that, 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 a, that a husband will leave his parents and cleave to his wife. It means you grab hands and say, you know what? For the rest of our lives, we're staying together. Everybody else might let us down. People might walk out on us. People might abandon us. People might not understand what's going on. People's opinions aren't going to matter. We're staying together. Man, there's a cost to that. There's a cost to, to having a successful marriage. In fact, in the book of, of 1 Corinthians 7, the Bible says that, that the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, he's talking about sex, but, but to me the application is much broader. He's saying, he's saying marriage is, is a duty that you're taking on. I heard one pastor say, he said, duty is sexy. Like everything else, make a big deal, but, but, but just saying, you know what? I'm taking on the duty. Tell your wife that. And the, and the privilege of staying committed to you. I'm taking on the duty and the privilege of communicating with you. I'm taking on the privilege and the duty and sometimes the burden of putting up with you. I'm taking on the duty and the burden of giving you my body. I'll take that one. You can have it. This is yours. It's, it's a duty. It's a choice you make. And there's a cost associated with it. The Bible tells husbands in this room, you need to love your wife with the duty and the understanding and love them the way that Christ loved the church in a sacrificial way. If I asked your wife, man, hey, you have a marriage problem she said yeah I guarantee you it's because you're not living in a sacrificial way wives the Bible tells you likewise live with your husbands in a respectful way an honoring way a way where you speak life to them when the rest of the world is trying to get rid of the role of, of manhood biblical manhood saying men are important there's no such thing as gender just be who you want to be we understand listen a mommy can't be a daddy and a daddy can't be a mommy you just can't I can't do things my wife can do with my kids. I can't love them the way that, that, I just can't do it. You live with each other in a respectful, sacrificial way. In a way where you communicate with each other. Man, there's a cost. I don't know if you've ever been in a fight with your spouse where you're like, you know what, this time I'm not going to win. Because that's, listen, if you win the fight with your spouse, you actually lose the war. You can be like, I'm winning, I'm right, and you're pointing at them. They would do this, that they would change this, that they would be better. But I want you to see something. When you're pointing your finger this way, there's three fingers pointing back towards you. And oftentimes God's saying, let's stop worrying about them. They, 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 I can't fix, you can't fix them. Let me fix you. Let me address your bitter heart. Let me address your unforgiving heart. Let me address the way you forgive. Let me address the way you communicate. Let me address the way you serve. And all of a sudden, you begin to allow God. Because the truth is, a great marriage is always filled with two people who have the Holy Spirit live inside, living inside of them. That's why it's so important you don't marry a non-believer. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of, of believers. And the Bible says that the same Spirit that conquered Jesus Christ, that that Spirit lives inside of you. And listen, if you think your marriage is about to die, if Jesus can be resurrected, so can your marriage. God can bring it back to life. But it doesn't start with that person and going, hey, if they would just fix them. It starts with the cost that you're willing to endure. Take a look at yourself. Too many people are just going, I'm just going to be me. Man, what is that? Do you realize how jacked up you are? 
you don't even like yourself most of the time. Are you going to be you and stay married to somebody else? You need to be who God created you to be, and you need to become what God created you to be to that person. I mean, there's a cost there. I'm with this quote for married people. Don't be upset about the results you aren't getting today with the work you aren't willing to do. If you're willing to work, your marriage can be, can be put back together. If you're willing to work, your marriage can be better than it'll ever be. If you're willing to set high standards, you can find the spouse you're supposed to find. But you don't find them like this. I'm looking for a spouse. God, I'm looking. No, no, no. You find your spouse working. And as you're working for the kingdom, as you're doing what God's telling you to do, as you're becoming the man or woman that you're supposed to do, as you're fixing your eyes on Jesus, God will bring that person into your life. You don't have to go make it happen. And man, pay the cost right now uh, of not being a person that settles. Don't settle. God has immeasurably more than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine in store for your life. Would you stand with me all over this house at our Limerick campus? Would you just close your eyes for a second with me? And as you close your eyes, if you're a believer, maybe you're a non-believer, maybe you're somebody who doesn't go to church often, would you just think about your life for me for a second? Maybe allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now. The Bible says it's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. So in the midst of all the things that I shared, and we laughed and we joked around, I want you to hear something above all that. That there is not a spirit of condemnation. That I know there's people in this room that have been divorced. I know there's people in this room that have dated people they shouldn't dated. I know there's people in this room that have sex, have had sex outside of marriage. I know there's people in this room that have had abortions. I know there's people in this room who have messed up. Listen, listen, God still loves you. And God still has a significant plan for your life. If your heart's still beating, man, he has something great for you. So I want you to hear me over everything I've said. Because I only spoke truth, but I also want you to hear the love of God. So we're a truthful place, but we're also a grace-filled place. And the grace of God is here. The grace of God rescues you at your lowest. The grace of God reaches you when you're broken. The grace of God gets into your life when you feel like no one else is there. And it's not his condemnation. If you're feeling condemnation in this place and you are not a believer, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not hearing the right voice. Because the Bible says that it's God's kindness. And the voice of kindness is saying, I have more for you. I have better for you. I made you. And I can, only, I can only relate to that thought with the way that I think about my kids when they don't live up to what I think they should live up to. And I'll, I think to myself, man, you're so much more valuable. You have so much more for your life. That's the voice of God. I'm so much more. So much better if you're a man. I mean, God wants to make you a godly man. Some of you have never seen that before. You don't know what it looks like to be a great husband. You don't know what it looks like to be a great father. You don't know what it looks like to be a great man. Man, the answer is Jesus. He'll fill you up right now, and he'll change who you are. You don't have to live in response to what's been done to you, what's been said about you. Maybe you're a female in this place, and you carry around baggage, and you carry around shame, and you carry around pain and insecurity. The answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. He'll whisper to you, you're valuable. He'll prove to you by what he was willing to do for you on the cross. That you're worth somebody sacrificing. He'll help you to fix your eyes on Jesus, but will set your standard higher. Man, it starts with Jesus. Maybe you don't understand the gospel. 
this is not a religious place at all, friend. Religion says that you begin to do the right things and God becomes interested in you. So you got the church today on this cold February day. Your life's a wreck. Your life's broken. You're hurt. I'm going to go to church and make things right and maybe God will make my life better. So if I just do right, then God will start to pay attention to me. That's religion. Do right. You hope God. You got your fingers crossed. God, pay attention to me. You pray. You hope God is listening. The Bible is clear that God has fixed his eyes on you long before you're ever thinking about him. The Bible says, while you were a sinner, and you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. You're broken, I'm broken. You're hurt, I'm hurt. You're hopeless, I was hopeless. But while you were a sinner, that Christ, that he died for you, that 2,000 years ago, that God came to earth, his name was Jesus. And when he was 33, he died on a Roman cross. He was taken off that cross, and he was placed into a tomb. And on the third day, the Bible's message is that he rose from the dead. That he died, he was fully dead. Fully God, fully man. And he died on that cross as a ransom in our place. He died the death that me and you, we should have died. But when he rose from the dead, we now have a chance to live a life that we could have never lived without him. But it starts with a belief and a confession. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I'm confessing. I'm making him the Lord of my life. It's a choice you make. I'm going to follow him just like that rich man. I'm here. It's going to cost you too much. Man, what you're not willing to pay today will eventually cost you everything. Jesus is saying, hey, hey, I have something for you. But before you start this, make sure you understand how much it's going to cost. It's going to cost everything. You're not going to be able to hold on to your past life. You're not going to be able to hold on to your bitterness. You're not going to be able to hold on to your anger. I'm going to make you a brand new person. Starts today. So if you're here right now, you're out of Limerick campus, you're watching online, the way we respond to God is the same way that a young son or young daughter responds to a parent. You need them to pick you up. You need them to hold you. You put your arms in the air, and it's a sign, hey, 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 I need you. That's all you're saying to God right now. Maybe you've never prayed before in your life. The Bible says this is no such thing as a religious prayer. You talk to God like you talk to a friend. He's here right now. He loves you so much. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. It starts right now with a confession that Jesus is Lord, asking him to forgive your sins, and you're moving forward as a brand new creation. With nobody looking around here, Pastor Bob's at our, our Limerick camp, you say, Pastor, that's me. That's the relationship I need to get right today. Before I go out try to find the right relationship in this world, there's a relationship I need to make right. It's the relationship between me and God. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. If that's you in this house with nobody looking around, you say, you know what, that's me. Would you just shoot your hand up in the air and say, today I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I see a hand right here in the front. I see your hand oh, right there. Is there anybody else? Say, Pastor, I see a hand over here. Is there anybody else who says, Pastor, that's me. That's me at our Limerick campus. If you could just shoot your hand in the air so that Pastor Bob could see you as we're praying. I'm going to give you a couple more seconds in this room. Maybe God's still talking to you. The Bible says that God keeps knocking at the door of your heart if you would just let him in right now. You would just let him in. Is there anybody at a Limerick campus that would say, Pastor, uh, that's me. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. If you're here right now and you're still, God's still working on you, there's still time, there's still, there's still a chance. I'm going to shoot my hand up in the air and I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Church, would you pray with me? If you raise your hand, all you're doing right now, God's here. He knows you better than you know yourself. And all you're saying is, God, I'm, I'm here. I need you. I'm inviting you into my life, into my mess, into my situation, into my heart. I'm giving you everything that I am, and you're giving me everything that you were, and I believe you're going to change me from this day forward. I'm leaving this place a brand new person. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done in our house. 
Thank you for those that came into this place that you knew them by name. You knew what they needed to hear today. Thank you for those that responded to your gospel today. That our only job as a church is to go everywhere and tell everyone about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. Thank you that this is not a place of condemnation. This is not a place of judgment. That we're already condemned. That we already carry pain. Thank you that this is a place of hope. This is a place of forgiveness. This is a place of renewal and redemption. And Jesus, for those that are praying right now, their their prayer is simple. Jesus, I need you. I need you to come into my life. I believe you died on a cross. And at that death, you've died for my sins. You rose from the dead on the third day. And it's through your resurrection that I can become a new person. That I, I was dead. I was dead in my transgressions, the Bible says. But now I'm alive in Christ. I was blind, but, but now I see I, I was hopeless, but now I have hope. And I'm thankful that those in this place, that there's, a, there's an exchange happening. Their soul is being revived. Their spirit is, is, is having life inside of it for the first time. Where they were hopeless, they leave with hope. They, 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 they've established in their heart the peace that surpasses understanding and the unspeakable joy. I'm thankful that for the very first day in their life, they realize they've been put on this planet for a reason. And Lord, from this day forward, they're going to walk out those purposes as you and them start a relationship that you have so longed to have with them. And Jesus, we are thankful that we get to be a part of it. We got to give today. We got to sing today. We got to listen to your word. And ultimately, we got to see your sons and your daughters return home to you. And with that, we rejoice. We are thankful that we got to be a part of that. In Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody here on our Limerick campus, you said amen with me. Amen. Would you clap with me all over this house?